Radiolab is supported by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. You're listening listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. See? Yep. Webster, are you there? Yeah, that was that was amazing. You started coming. I still don't see you. I'm Jad Abumrad. This is Radio Lab. Dispatch number, whatever number we're at. I'm going to say 14. I'm not sure. This dispatch is a little bit more lo-fi than, than even our others because, I don't know, I just wanted to play you a conversation I had with senior correspondent Molly Webster. She and I check in every Friday morning where she usually just kind of updates me on new research she's following, things she's been interested in. And in this case... Her research update to me last Friday was just so interesting. I'm recording. You are here. You are recording. That we decided to record. Okay, we'll talk and then you just tell me to stop whenever. Uh, I I will tell you to stop, but why would I tell you that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Chad, you'd be the rare person in my life who doesn't. She told me about a few new studies that she had just read. Um, These were articles about different individual COVID patients from different spots around the world, and each paper looked at how the virus behaves inside a single human body. One, a case study from the UK, starts with a man in his 70s coming into a hospital uh, with an immune system that was already pretty low. Yeah, his immune system was low because he had uh, lymphoma Uh and then was on a drug to try and keep the cancer in check, and that lowers your... Got it your immune system. So this man in his 70s. He had a suppressed immune system and he shows up in a hospital because of cancer stuff. And while he's there, they test him and he's positive for SARS-CoV-2. Okay. But he seems relatively fine and he just has like a small cough or something. And so they send him home. And then 35 or 34 days later on day 35, he walks back into the hospital and what had been a cough for the last month had like turned into shortness of breath and they test him again and he has coronavirus which most likely meant that uh, he had coronavirus for the whole month and couldn't get rid of it so he tests positive for coronavirus and he has like the COVID-19 pneumonia kind of that settles into your lungs the crackly cough thing yeah you know the gray spots on the lungs that they like identify in CT scans and stuff yeah and so they check him into the hospital And then what basically starts is just a series of trying to treat this man. At the same time, the UK is actually really good about taking samples and genetically sequencing them, as we all know, in a way that America is not doing right now. And so so over the course of his time in the hospital, and he does eventually end up dying on what they say is day 102. Oh, wow. um, Over the course of that time, they sequence his virus 
23 times. So basically, over the last three and a half months of this man's life, the doctors take snapshots of the virus inside him. You can think of these as um, a series of stills that capture what the virus is doing, how it is moving. You can think of them as mugshots, series of mugshots. Now, at this point, uh, this is going back a year, uh, there was really only one main version of SARS-CoV-2 that was out there, or at least in our consciousness. There weren't all of these uh, variants from South Africa or Brazil. Or the New York City variant. That There's a new one? Yeah. I did yeah not. The New York City one is new, and now there's a new Oregon variant. Oh, snap. None of that was on our radar yet. We were just focused on the original. The original, like what I call like OG SARS-CoV-2. That was, was the perp that the doctors expected to see on all those mugshots. And they did see it on day one. But then when he went away and came back 34-ish days later and proceeded to get sicker and sicker in the hospital, they sequenced again. And this time they saw something different. Instead of just one COVID virus inside him. They saw pop up like little subpopulations. They saw a whole bunch of different kinds. With enough variation that they look different. Huh. What they noticed is like, oh, there's still the dominant like OG SARS-CoV-2 genetic sequence all over this body. Okay. But there's like really small, quiet, like subpopulations that are hanging around. And at the time, they were like, whoa, 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 there's all these like variations. Whoa, has this person been infected by like six different types of this virus? And they all happen to get into oh. this person at the same time. Oh, like he somehow managed to have six different encounters with six different coronaviruses? Or like day one, he had a case and then it cleared. Yeah. And then maybe got it again. And then again and again and again. So the doctors at that point have a new thought. Maybe this isn't the same infection that he's had the whole time. Maybe these are separate viruses, entirely separate. But then they realize, no, this is one strain that got in and just keeps changing, 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 wow. changing, changing. In other words, what the researchers came to understand, and they weren't trying to study this, they were simply trying to save the man's life, is that these subpopulations were one virus rapidly mutating, trying out new forms inside a human body. That when you have a human body that has a compromised immune system, the COVID virus will just rapidly experiment. That the immune suppressed body is like a playground of sorts because like nothing actually shuts the virus down and it can replicate uninhibited. This one researcher said that at any point in time when you're like infected with coronavirus, you can have like at least a billion copies of the virus inside of you. One and billion? So, one billion. And oh so that God. means that every time it replicates, it has a chance to like mutate, substitute, delete one little nucleotide. But I thought the whole deal with the coronavirus, I mean, you and I did yeah. a story about this, is that unlike the other RNA viruses, which are super sloppy, the coronavirus actually catches its own mistakes pretty well and doesn't mutate that much. So it doesn't actually mutate that fast, but it still does just mutate. And every time it replicates, there is a chance that a mutation can set in and hence evolution can happen, right? Because if you change part of your genetic code, you have a chance to like have new characteristics that let you survive in the world in a different way. 
And so if it's in the body and it's allowed to replicate a billion times with really nothing to stop it, every time it replicates, you throw the dice and something can happen. So getting back to this guy, the researchers noticed that he's got all of these different subpopulations of SARS-CoV-2 viruses, different kinds inside of him. But most of the new variants... They're not really doing much. They don't have much dominance. Like if you actually look at the numbers, I think it's something like, um, I may be making this up, but I don't think I am. But it's something like the, the original genetic virus is almost at 100% dominance. And every, every other little subpopulation is like less than 2%. But then she says the doctors start to give this guy treatments. Uh, so he gets to the hospital day 35. Day 41, they do a round of remdesivir. That's one of the few drug treatments available against the virus. Day 54, they do another round of remdesivir. And then on day 63, they give him convalescent plasma from a donor. And this is like the you know blood you take from the body of a person who has successfully fought off COVID-2. And you put it in a person who's struggling to mount an antibody defense system to, like, take the virus down. The thought is, and this is also a story we've done, uh, the antibodies in the survivor's blood will help you fight off the virus. So day 63, guy gets infusion of plasma. And then on day 65, they give him another batch of convalescent plasma. So they're, like, giving treatments, and then as they're giving treatments, they're taking samples and genetically sequencing them. And what they see is that by the time they check his samples in like the 80s, like day 82 or day 81, um, the, the different subtypes have like exploded. Really? And, and there are like very noticeable changes in the coronavirus inside his body. More on that after the break. Hi, this is Deidre from the Long Beach Peninsula, Washington. Radio Lab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Science reporting on Radio Lab is supported in part by Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. Radiolab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with quick 10-minute lessons that have been handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. You can learn everything you need to have real-world conversations, café s'il vous plaît, from vocabulary words to culture and more. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a few months or a full year. Here is a special limited-time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash radiolab, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Radiolab. Rules and restrictions may apply. Radiolab is supported by Z-Biotics. 
If you've been looking for some help waking up refreshed after a fun night out, Zbiotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is here to help. Zbiotics is a genetically engineered probiotic invented by scientists to help tackle rough mornings after drinking. This probiotic is the first drink of the night for a better tomorrow, as it works to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is responsible for rough mornings after. Go to zbiotics.com slash Radiolab to get 15% off your first order when you use Radiolab at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. If you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's zbiotics.com slash Radiolab and use the code Radiolab at checkout for 15% off. Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers. To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Birkett Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage, it becomes this kaleidoscope of our history. I'm Jessica Vosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. This is Radio Lab. I'm Jad Abumrad. Today we are in Molly Webster territory. Actually, we are in the middle of a recording of her and I's weekly meeting where she was telling me about some papers that have just come out uh, that show how the SARS-CoV-2 virus behaves inside a single human body. I also just want to say before we rejoin, rejoin that conversation, God bless the man in the UK, uh, the human beings who are at the center of these case studies. Papers kept their identities secret, uh, of course. We will obviously do the same. But in a few of these cases, not all, these people passed away and they allowed doctors to study them uh, in the final months of their life so that we could all learn something about the nature of this enemy. So endless gratitude to those people. Okay. So before the break, Molly was explaining that in this, uh, this man in the UK with a compromised immune system, the doctors first noticed that uh, there were all of these variants of the coronavirus popping up, like all these different subpopulations, which were basically kept in check for a while. But then as soon as the doctors started trying to treat the patient with drugs and convalescent plasma, those subpopulations just explode. And, and there are like very noticeable changes in the coronavirus inside his body. They see like these deletions that they call, you know, deletions at 69 and 70. And then there's this other mutation at something called 796. It's very, it's very wonky, like all based on like amino acid positioning. Okay. And suddenly that, that virus variant is like dominant. Huh. And the OG SARS-CoV-2 virus variant has like become a quiet subpopulation. Weird. So, okay. Help me unpack what that, Yeah. I don't quite know how to, how to, how to hear that. Does that mean that, that, that whatever that it was in the plasma, whatever antibody army came in from the donor, obliterated OG SARS, but it somehow allowed for this little subpopulation to just bloom? Essentially. So what they say is like, oh my gosh, we added in all of these antibodies and we've just witnessed how SARS-CoV-2 might try and get around those antibodies. So they basically witnessed evolution happening right in front of them. Yes. Is that, is that the way right. to say it? That is right. And in the example you just gave where there was a mutation in 69 or 70 or whatever it was, what does that actually do for the virus? So the, the 6970 deletion 
on its own makes the virus twice as efficient at, at infecting cells. Really? And they think that's because it can clamp on more tightly to your cells. And so if you have that variation, you bind more tightly, which means like when you inject your genetic material, it all gets inside and like the cell can't shake you. Okay, so we're only at stage one here. So they see this scary mutation bloom in this one patient, this poor man. And then Molly says, as they kept trying to treat the man and then test him to measure the effect of those treatments, they saw this kind of real-time evolution just continue and escalate. They'd see all of these different populations come and go, rise, fall. There might be two different types and they rise and fall together. Hmm. And then there's some where like if virus variant A is in there, D won't survive. And I have this like little part of the paper cut out. I'm just going to read it to you. Yeah, yeah. It says, Patterns in the variant frequencies suggest competition between virus populations carrying different mutations. Viruses with the mutation deletion pair, spike letters 796, 6970, rose to high frequency during convalescent plasma therapy, but were then outcompeted by another population in the absence of therapy. Specifically, these data are consistent with a lineage of viruses with the NSP2, I513T, and RDP, no, RDRPV157L <laughs> variant, which was dominant on day 66, but was outcompeted during therapy by the mutation deletion variant, that's 796 and 6970, with the lapse in therapy, the original strain, which had acquired NSP15N1773S and the spike Y200HT240I, regained dominance, followed by the emergence of a separate population with the spike W64GP330S variant. <laughs> Oof. That's like one paragraph from the paper. So, so those are all different like subpopulations of coronaviruses that are kind of duking it out in this one guy? This all happened in that one body, wow. in that one patient in the UK. This is just from that paper. Dang. How many different uh, corona tribes are we talking about? Let's see. Wait, let's just see if we can do a quick count. So there's 501Y, 796, 6970, 240I, 200H, 330S, W64G, I513T, V157L, N1773S. So something like at least 10 different populations rose and fell. Whoa. Viruses have stayed, like these virus variants have exist in different parts of the body. Some of them exist all over globally. Some exist in different parts of the body. And they're all having different types of battles with the Whoa. things that you're putting inside. And then they're all having different types of battles with each other. And they're seeing this in a single human. Yes, a single person. Wow. I don't know why, but this is completely blowing my mind. Well, because one of the one of the scientists described it as like, uh, you can see a single body, a single patient as like a, a, a battleground or a training ground. Oh, wow. That's if you can scary. Look, yeah. if you, I know, it's, it's like if you can look in 
and follow the action. It's almost like the Truman Show, but rather than us being in the Truman Show, you're looking in. You're looking into the Truman Show, like watching the world wow. change and be manipulated. And you're like, now I want to make it rain. <laughs> now, wow. now I will cause a tornado, and I'm going to see like how the world react. That how this world reacts to that. It's just like a whole microcosm inside one person. And in that passage you read. It said that the the different populations of coronavirus are competing. Are are, are they fighting? How are they it's fighting? Not fighting. Exactly? It's all about real estate, really. It's like, can you get in a cell? How oh. fast can you get in a cell, and how quickly can you replicate in that cell? If you think about the body, there is a limited number of cells for the virus to infect. And so if it wants to make lots of different types of itself, and I'm saying wants like it has like a wish, but mm-hmm. if it wants to make different types of itself, all of those different variants are fighting for the same real estate. Huh. Like there's, there was, there's, there's one paper about a patient who had, had corona, who was immune suppressed, had coronavirus for at least 70 days, asymptomatic. Wow. Eventually it cleared their system, but they saw the virus like mutating mm. inside this, this one person. There's something a medicine can witness. I think it's not even like learn. It's like actually like what what we can witness is in a sense, everything that is happening out in the wild, but like in one place, which whoa, whoa, happens whoa. to be, oh yeah, I just did a big jump. Yeah. You just made a jump, yeah, which is, which is, which was where my mind was going, which was, yeah. if, if, okay, so if we, if we zoom out just a bit yeah. and, we, and we look at like, this one body and we yeah. see that these vi- these variations these different populations that are rising and falling and competing for real estate. Is there anything that they are seeing in these single human cases inside of these single immunosuppressed people that is mirroring what we're seeing out in the world in terms of all the different variants that are floating around in South Africa and Brazil and all that? So that's where it gets really spinny. That's, that's where it gets really trippy is that these patients end up being like a blueprint like with them you could see what the virus might do in the future and and to break that down what they saw happen inside those bodies were the formation and creation of mutations that then appeared out in the wild six months later in like the uk variant the south african variant and the brazil variant that we're all like running scared from. Whoa. Five months before a scary virus variant showed up in the wild, they saw it inside a person. Okay, okay, okay. If they're seeing these mutations dominate in immunocompromised bodies before they dominate in the wild, does that tell them that they started in immunocompromised bodies and then got out into the wild? Well, so that's an interesting question. So, so with these specific case studies that were written up, uh-huh. whatever happened inside the body never left the body because the, because the patient was in a hospital the whole time and, and, and closed down. Oh, but okay. the thought now is based on two of these case studies and a few others that have come out is that probably at least the UK variant, that B117, came out of an immunocompromised body because they said that variant has like eight significant mutations in it 
And in order to get that in the wild, it would take many, many months. And if you were genetically sequencing, like they do very frequently in the UK, you would see the tracings of that change start to happen. Oh, interesting. You'd be like, oh, there's a change here. That's change one. There's a change here. That's change two. There's a change here. That's change three. But everyone said one day they woke up and there was a new virus with like eight significant changes, which makes them think that like that all happened in one hidden place and then like burst onto the scene. That's so funny because that's that was the the experience of consuming the news was like, oh, you know, COVID-2. And then like I remember hearing that like it doesn't mutate that much. (laughs) Okay, great. Glad to hear that. And -hmm. we've got these vaccines coming in. Yay. And then suddenly, <laughs> like literally on a Tuesday, everyone's like, oh, snap, there's a variant. a variant. We've got a new variant. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wait, what? Where did that yeah, come where from? where did that come from? Well, scientists had the same reaction. And what they're saying is in these like immune suppressed patients where, you're, where you can witness the virus trying to adapt and where you can like step by step see how it interacts with each treatment you give it, you can actually have a clue to like how the virus might change in the future because if if, that's bananas that's so weird it's like seeing the future it is it is like this one guy called it a crystal ball another guy called it the a harbinger of like what's to come in the virus that's so wild yeah the idea is at some level the virus can change a lot of ways but at another level it can only change so many ways And so if you watch it mutate like a million, two million, three million, four million, five million times inside a person's body and you see which variants dominate, there's like a pretty good chance that like, okay, if the virus ever rolled the dice out in the wild and it landed on this mutation, this mutation would take hold and thrive. So it's very possible it's going to hit the same mutations in different places independently. And we might be able to see that in advance inside one person. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's what I, what I, what I'm struck by. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear this story right now, Hmm. you know, because it's, it's, it's like from one moment to the next, it's really hard to know whether to feel optimistic (laughs) or pessimistic, right? Right. You know, it's like, and, and kind of the story you're telling, and it's weird to like look outside and see like, oh, it's sunny, like spring is coming, <laughs> like the vaccines are rolling out. We might actually get to go have dinner with friends again. And everybody's like in this kind of like, ah, oh, normal, normal life is returning. What, the story you're telling me is like, is it? The virus is crafty. But then maybe so are we. I don't know. It's weird to juxtapose what you're saying against that sense of like optimism that's out mm. in the world because what I'm hearing is that simultaneously this virus is figuring us out and we're figuring it out. Yeah. And maybe we're turning the corner or maybe we're just in the first chapter of a very long story, you know? Yeah, like I... I, I think I keep having a having a lot of visuals mm-hmm. like I, like myself and I would say my community are probably at the lowest ebb mm-hmm. I've seen them at in the last year, yeah. but also with with a whole bunch of like hope 
just starting to like glimmer. I keep thinking of that Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil statue. Do you know what that is? It's like the little girl and Mm. she has her hands up by her shoulders with her palms like up to the sky. And it's like good and evil are are like weighted on each side. Mm. I feel like that feels like this moment in COVID to me where you're holding like optimism and pessimism. You're holding like hope and just like utter exhaustion. (laughs) Some full shoulders. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that. That's exactly it. Senior Correspondent Molly Webster. This episode would not be possible without uh, the council and interviews with Ravi Gupta and Jonathan Lee. Uh, Thank you both so, so much. Huge thanks to them, and thanks again to Molly and to you for listening. I'm Jad Abumrad. We'll be back with you again next week. Hi, my name's Sophia Berg. I'm calling from Bonn, Germany. Radio Lab was created by Jed Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Lars Nasser are our co-hosts. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. Dylan Keith is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, David Gable, Matt Keelty, Annie McEwen, Sarah Kari, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. With help from Shima Oliayi, Sarah Sandback, Johnny Moans, and Karen Young. Our fact checkers are Diane Kelly and Emily Krieger. Uh-huh.